This Week in Retronauts, a long-forgotten friend makes good on an old promise. And welcome to this episode of Retronauts, whatever episode it is. I'm Jeremy Parrish, hosting this time around, and uh, this is a very special episode because it's one that uh, should have happened like five years ago, and it's finally happening now. So get out your little Oprah, it's happening gifs, and celebrate. Look under your chair right now. Right now. You'll find. There's a car, a free car. It's There's a, tiny, a creepy it's a guy car. with a mullet recommending a shooter for the Genesis. He's hiding. Yes, that's right. Shane Bettenhausen is here, along with Christian Nutt. And we're finally going to do the Nihon Talonet slash Valise episode. That's cool. Well, you know, this this company has such a weird, twisted, fractured history. It only makes sense that it took a very long time for us to kind of like, you know, bring up the energy to that's, actually make that's this That's an happen. interesting justification. Yeah. Um, <laughs> first, before we, before we get into this, though, let's introduce ourselves. Uh, I'm Jeremy Parrish. To my left. That, not that you can hear because this is not in quadraphonic stereo. Yeah. I'm Christian Nutt, Gama Sutra's... Uh, Blog director, and I've been on Retronauts many times. I guess it sounds like you just made that title up. It's not true. <laughs> what I, am I? What did is not my make it up? Well, and I'm Shane Bettenhausen. I used to be on Retronauts forever ago, a long time ago. I work at PlayStation now. And I'm Bob Mackey. You know me. And uh, yeah, I think we're just going to jump pretty much straight into this episode. Um, back in you know, back in the one-up days, in the olden Retronauts times. Um, you know, when when Shane left the company, he said, "At some point, I'm going to come back and do a Valise episode." That was one of the things that he, it's a company uh, and a game series he holds dear to his heart, and uh, so we've wanted to make this happen for a long time, and now here we are. And it's been difficult because you know, as I went to different positions at different publishers, sometimes I wasn't allowed to do podcasts, even podcasts about ancient, you know, antiques such as these. And, uh, <laughs> right, and as and- long as we don't talk about. Um, Getting Valise, uh, those those Valise releases on PSN Man, in you know, America. I, we, we, we sh- there's nothing happening there, but uh, you know, to fast forward to the very how, end. How is there not anything happening? Well, I'll say. How, how are you working actual- at PlayStation knowing that these games are on Japanese PSN and not saying, well, they you know are. what? I, actually, well, you know, a few of them are here and there in Japan on PSN. But uh, in terms of, you know, it's fast forward to the end of this spoiler alert, um, they, allegedly Sunsoft has the rights to mm-hmm. all these games now. And yep. uh, I, actually at the at Tokyo Game Show, I was speaking to someone who controls those rights about if we could one day bring these back. So, like, yeah, it would be amazing if, if, if all of these games we talk about today could be played you know, something. direct from his mouth, folks. But, Tell them you know, they can keep Festus Shane Bettenhausen doing the Lord's work. It, these things take time, especially with with you know like uh, classics emulation. I think mm-hmm. you know people were excited to see Vibribbon, for example, finally came out in America on PS1's cla- PS1 classics some you know decade after it originally came out. So you know, like things are possible. So keep problem with that alive. game is I can't seem to get a compact disc into my Vita. So it's yeah, it PS3 will work it with it. Yeah, actually. I 
I'm really glad that Christian's here because Christian and I are friends from a really long time ago. Before, it is a long time ago. Right, before either of us were ever in the video game world and we were just, you know, fans actually. And we, I think, you know, to kind of hijack this from you, I think that Christian and I both have really unique perspectives on Telenet. <laughs> Me as back in the day, back in 16-bit, I was a Genesis fanboy more or less. I never had Turbo. So I was always looking at... I, I introduced you to the right. world of Turbo Graphics. He did. And I was looking at screenshots of like cosmic fantasy stories and being like, oh man, that looks amazing. I wish I could play that, but I can't. And it wasn't until Renovation on Genesis that I got to touch it. Meanwhile, Christian, kind of anyone here, probably had the earliest touch on any Telenet product by having a TurboGrafx CD on like the day it came out. Well, not quite the day it came out, but it was, it was well, I mean... I'm sure I bought the first one that Toys R Us ever sold. <laughs> in its giant plastic carrying case, which you could have, like, carried a person inside of. Yeah, the box for that thing is literally big enough to carry, like, a, a large child. Right. And Valus 2 was a launch title. Did you get it? Um, I got Valus 2 right when it came out. That would have been 1990. I believe that was one of the two launch, or three launch? No, the two launch titles for the actual TurboGrafx CD were Monster Lair and Fighting Street. Fighting Street being Street Fighter 1. Right, right, right. Valus 2 is not there. Valus 2 came out later. It was uh, probably... The fall, early fall or late summer of 90. And did you yeah. know about it? Had you seen the one screenshot that was... I don't remember. Like, so basically what happened is... I don't know if this is how we want to segue into talking about the history of Telnet, but like... Uh, I, I have a feeling I'm going to have no control well, over I think this. We should, so, I think we should rewind. So, once, like, I think but like anyone's first touch of Telnet. Like, yeah. Well, actually, why don't we even talk about what Telnet is? And I'd, I'd actually... Like, I'm putting this forward as a question to you guys because yeah. I did a lot of research for this episode because Telenet and Valis are not really in my wheelhouse. Right. Um, and I've struggled over the years to enjoy Valis, and I, I just can't because I think I wasn't there at you the time. You kind of had to be there. Yeah. I wasn't there at I'm the time. I'm in Jeremy's camp, too. Yeah. Um, no, so, so you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading and tried to figure out, you know, exactly what Telenet was. It seems like it was this massive octopus-like company. I don't think it, it was didn't produce, massive. It didn't produce that many games, but, you know, a few dozen throughout its life. But the thing is, it had all these subdivisions. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a really strange company, and there's no real narrative about right. the well, company. And, and, and the subdivisions have kind of unique, interesting Oh, yeah, the whole, the whole well. Wolf Team thing. Right. Like, yeah. We could probably do an episode just on Wolf right. Team, I mean, honestly. Clearly, the founder, when it was founded, there was this one dude, I forget his name, yep, I have it here. Um, but, you know, he was clearly ambitious, you know, because it was a, for a small corporation, very ambitious. And, well, they, and they made a lot of content. Yeah. They started out making PC games. And one other thing that complicates this like is... Like most Japanese PC, developers. PC-88. Yeah, yeah PC-88. If, you, if you look back and you look at some of the versions of their games that came out for certain consoles, they didn't actually produce them. It's kind of like the Falcom situation we mm, talked about okay. ages ago. Like the Famicom, meaning NES versions of Valis games, right, for example, are, are those are not them. And the Famicom Valis 1 is like an amazing... Can I curse on this show? Go ahead. Clusterfuck of go. just like what the shit is this game? But um, so but that's, it's, that's a fun it's one. interestingly different from other versions. Right. But not a good. Yeah. Not a good it, it should be it should be mentioned. You know, tying in with that, that the Valley series started out on Japanese PCs, the PC eighty right. eight yeah. and the MSX. So actually, and and that's those, the other those weird. Early versions look pretty bad. Well, well and like that, like that most, hardware like, was pretty bad. Sure, like like all platformer two D platformers for PCs made in the eighties that didn't have like, dedicated scrolling hardware. Yeah, I mean it just it it was not a good match. Or sprite handling. Like, but God bless them for trying. Well, the thing was, I mean, they did this thing that you know was discovered sort of very, I think, early on in, in, in the Japanese market, which was like, if we put in really, really high quality, like still anime cutscenes, like we will find a niche audience that will really appreciate it. This was during the boom of like, you know, 80s anime, which was, you know, when, right. when the sort of yeah. anime as appreciated by people who were adults, right. not kids, yeah, started I, I th- to, to I think, become a thing. I think, you know, any conversation along uh, this, this phase of history 
kind of you have to understand that when we're talking about Japan, like the 80s um, encompassed a video game boom with the Famicom. It encompassed an anime boom. It encompassed an economic boom. And all these things fit together. Yeah. And people were buying they, new PCs all the right, time, like new consoles. These things are all conflated just by their existence. Like they all happened in concert. That's yeah, just the, the economic and cultural overlap was that as the economic boom was happening, like there was suddenly big budgets for games, big right, budgets for people, had, and, people had a ton of disposable income at that And big point. budgets for anime productions that were very high budget and, and painstakingly made creative and weird to some extent and uh, it all sort of conflated and so they made Valis and, well, and I also believe the Valis you know, was kind of ripped from what was popular. It was like a magical girl transformation mm-hmm. narrative which at the time like Sailor Moon was brand new. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, no, no. I mean, this this predates Sailor Moon. Sailor really? Moon, oh, um, the like, manga began. I looked this up because I was like, is this just a Sailor Moon ripoff? The, the manga, actually, Clamp began the manga in 1991. You mean, you mean uh, Takeuchi? I was oh, reading, sorry, uh, sorry, yeah. Um, it, yeah, Sailor Moon began as a manga in 1991. Wow, okay. Well, Sailor V predated it. But there were other magical yeah. girls. Oh, yeah. 1986, you know, like, yeah. I was According reading, to um, Hardcore Gamer yeah, 101, um, they cited Retta, the fantastic adventure of Yoko mm. as the oh, That's true. On. It is a little darker, more demonic than mm. Sailor Moon ever Oh, yeah, way. The demons are – actually, so that's something I'll talk about probably, but – no, I mean for sure – uh, so yeah, Telenet like they started out on PC, but I'm I'm really and I just did this big feature on Turbo Graphics. I'm not sure how they courted. Fantastic, yeah. Thank you. How they courted these? Yeah, developers. I was jealous of that piece, honestly. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's high praise from you, um, because you're so. This is your thing. Um, you're wasting your time on Game Boy. Oh, I agree with. <laughs> sorry, should I should I do PSP instead? Perhaps I agree with Mark McDonald his assert, his assertion of what playing a game on the Game Boy is like. I'm not going to repeat it here because you have young listeners, but he, <laughs> he's already gotten us an explicit label. You yeah, go saw. for it. No, just saying that it's like it's like sipping a fine champagne through a device you wouldn't want to sip champagne through. I uh, I uh, I recently played through Super Mario Land beginning to end. I felt it was charming. It's weird, but. Anyway, Blurry and unplayable. Back to Valis. <laughs> you play on original Game Boy hardware. Oh. I played on a GBASP backlit. If I, if I had a Game Boy Lite, maybe. Anyway. Um, so, get one. I don't know exactly how they got to the Turbo Graphics, but essentially, I think this is like they, either they decided, which would be logical, like, oh, look, CD ROM. Like, we have to remember, like, CD ROM was a brand new thing. Do you think like, Hudson maybe, like, paid them? Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> I mean, Hudson did. I found out when I was doing my research that Hudson was not only. Paying, you know, in, encouraging people to make games for the system, but they were also, in fact, like funding games and then giving them to other publishers to release under wow. their name to like give the impression that there were more third-party games. However, oh, wow. that is definitely That's not the case clever. with Telenet because they made a shit ton of games on their own Steam. So it's, it's clear that they actually embraced the PC engine. But, but they but, might have used, you know, co-marketing deals or something on Cosmic. Oh Fantasy, yeah, no, there absolutely. Know, like, there's some way that I'm sure there was some sort of. But you know, Japan is also very relationship based, so it's altogether possible they just liked each other. Yeah. Like that's actually a feasible mm-hmm. way to do business. Well, in Japan. and the versions for PC Engine were better than the versions. Oh, yeah. on the on the PCs. Well, that, okay. So this is there's a lot of tangled things here. Let me try to like smooth them back out and tell them in order. So this company made some PC games. They they made the Valus series. They made Valus one. Then they made Valus two. And Valus two sort of breakthrough, I guess, was it really had the anime thing going and cutscenes. Right around the same time, the PC Engine was getting its CD-ROM drive, which was eight, 1980, I guess it might have been 88 uh, in Japan. No, 87 was the system, it was PC Engine, but I think it just made the tail end of 88 in Japan, if I recall correctly. But So in 89, they're making, you know, the first wave of real CD games are coming. And I guess, you know, whether Telnet was invited because of their sort of incipient prowess of making CD-ROM style graphics or whether they're just like, oh, hey, we can jump on that and really do the kind of cinematics we want to do. Either way, that's how they ended up there. Um, 
Now, they, as we talked about, or Jeremy started to talk about, Telenet is the overarching company, but they had a bunch of different labels with different names that released games on different platforms. I mean, were they were they just labels, or were they? No, they were actually studios. Teams. Yeah. They were studios. Like Wolf, so. team, Wolf Team is a very yeah. I was going to say yeah. Wolf Team team doesn't strike me as being but a label. But Riot a group is of a label and not a studio. I All right, think. and but Renovation was just like their label. American well, label. There's also, but they used the Renovation brand in Japan. And then there's uh, CD. They did, and there's also CD so Laser. So CD Laser Soft. And I love Laser Soft. CD Just Laser Soft. Yeah, I actually uh, love that logo and everything. CD Laser Soft did Valus Two around the same time that like the PC group was doing Valus Two. There's like a little bit of a lag. So clearly, they were like concurrently developed by different teams. Um, so CD Laser Soft is the one that was sort of founded to do the PC Engine games, um, and they did Valus Two, Valus Three. But Valus um, and Valus 4, but Valus 1, which finally came out as the final release of Valus on PC Engine, because it's a remake of the right, old PC right. one, that was Riot. There's also the, the last Valus released for Genesis, weirdly enough, too, which I have the manual of here, but yeah. So there's, um, yeah, because Valus 1 was originally an old PC game, so for them to get back around to remaking it, I think it took a while. Right. But so the different brands they had were there was Telnet was the company, there was CD Lasersoft, which was PC Engine. I, they did make some, like, the Valus 4 release for Super Famicom is released under CD Lasersoft, which mm-hmm. is hilarious because it's a cartridge. It's published by Atlas here, weirdly. Whatever. And, and kind of reworked. But um, yeah. there's CD Lasersoft, there's Wolf Team, there's Renovation, there's Riot. Am I leaving out anything? I think that's I think about that's, all I think that's everything. Yeah. So yeah. there's sort of, but all under the publisher Telenet. So... Yeah. Um, well, and, and which, was it Riot who did Cosmic Fantasy? Or Okay, so or Cosmic Wolf? Fantasy, I believe, was... I believe it's Riot and not Wolf Team. I don't have, like, the only Cosmic Fantasy release I have a Japanese version of is Cosmic Fantasy Stories for the Mega CD, which is a port of 1 and 2, and that is Riot. Hmm. And, like, Cosmic Fantasy 2 was one of the the big first releases here for Topographic CD-ROM that had voices and cutscenes. That was an RPG. The first, yeah, the first, so to go back to your original question before we got sort of into the little bit of the history was uh, I had bought the Topographic CD in August of 90. Um, did it come out in, I guess, the end of 89 in yeah. America? It took me a while to get interested in the system. I didn't buy the actual Turbografx until the summer of 90. I got very into it. I got very obsessed with it. I liked it a lot. And then I saw East 1 and 2, which, like, in EGM and stuff, and I was like, holy shit, I need yeah. this game. Like, I desperately need this well, game. I think so. this is a time when both of us, you know, we were kind of coming to terms with, like, Realizing that the kinds of games we had liked on NES and, you know, Master System, whatever, were these Japanese games with this anime art style. And suddenly yeah. you're looking at screenshots and there is, like, a beautiful anime girl with blue hair in this game. And that's that's, that's the game for me. Can you, guys, can you guys talk about what kind of uh, anime you were watching at the time? I'm just curious. Oh. Yeah, and what, what kind of anime do you watch I mean, now? This was, before, <laughs> this was before anime was readily available yeah, that, in stores. There was just no Suncoast. Yeah, yet. I mean, we're talking about 1990, so I actually, the first time I watched anime as anime in the sense that it was like I knew this was like distinct from watching a cartoon on television with like commercials and whatever like was Akira but that wasn't until 91 mm, right okay. this was before anime basically and like this realization well that before these, anime in America right yeah. that these games that looked like you know Robotech or or, I mean, or Gundam or you know, it was more, uh, for me it was a natural extension of the fact that like like I bought a Genesis uh well, no, actually, probably not in that order. But, like, I played, you know, RPGs. Like, I found RPGs. Like, I really loved Fantasy Star 1 on the on right. the, on the the uh, the Master System. And I just had this sense that, like, I want more games like this. And that dovetailed with the aesthetic that I then, like, I didn't realize anime 
like per se was anesthetic until I got East One and Two really and sort of put it together in my head with some of the cartoons I'd seen like Robotech or whatever and sort of had this idea like, hey, this is a thing. And this is yeah. not a thing for kids necessarily. And that was kind of, you know, like I was 13. So, you know, when you're 13, it's like you're starting to grow up and you're starting to develop your own taste and you're starting to understand like there's a differentiation between things for kids and things for you. And like I was like, this is the kind of thing that I well, want. And I'm kind of good. For me, Telenet Games, like, and they have a lot of, yeah, there were a lot of titles released between like 1990 and 1994. Mm-hmm. And playing those games during those formative years, it actually helped to kind of foster my love of the anime aesthetic. And I think in a mm-hmm. way, a lot of their games have this generic 70s, 80s anime aesthetic. Yeah, they're. Yeah. That's pleasant and. You know, it's nostalgic. Actually, <laughs> I think what it is is that, like, what they were doing was they were highly influenced by what was going on. Like, you know, like Hardcore Gaming mentions, you know, Leda was one of their influences. They were very influenced by what was in the air, right? Probably the artists who were working in there were more drawing their inspiration from, like, what was in the air than they were coming up with original things. However, I think that if you look at some of their games, like we can talk about, they had a highly refined, like, implementation of, of those things. Like, the character designs were good, interesting. The art, like, particularly games like Gaiaris had really interesting art direction for the for the, 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 the Genesis cutscenes. Right. And good music that are different. throughout as well. Yeah, yeah. so, and, so, I got the TurboGrafx uh, CD in August of 90. Uh, Valis came out soon after. I sort of had to pick, I had Monster Lair at launch, and there were no other games. There were those two it's games. Monster Lair. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what am I going to, I kept going to, like, I mean, this wasn't, like, really... It was just around the time starting to read magazines. So I just kept going to, like, stores and looking to see if anything had spawned on the shelves. And finally, like, I believe it was Valis and maybe it was Final Zone 2 or maybe it was uh, – no, it was Last Alert, I think. One of the other – Which is also – These are all Telenet, Telenet games. games yeah. <laughs> like, basically, like, NEC was pumping out Telenet's games in America. Um, and I sort of had to pick. There was two. I think it was Last Alert. And, like, Last Alert is, like – even back then, it was like a butch guy with a gun, and I'm like, no. And then this one's like super cool anime, and I'm like, yes. So, like, that is what I bought. And I just to sort of go, like, so Monster Lair is, in my opinion, a really good game, and I still really cherish it. But it didn't have cutscenes or any of the stuff we associate with, like, CD-ROM. It had CD music, but otherwise it was, like, you know, pretty much doable cartridge. So, so Valis 2 was the first Valis game to come to the U.S. Yes. yes. I'm not sure, like, because Valis... Three for Genesis would have been the next, right? Which was right. at least a full year afterwards. Actually, didn't City Valleys come between two and three, or was no? That City Valleys is a remake of Valleys two, and it came out after Valleys three. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about if we're talking about chronology of release, not chronology right. of like. Yeah, Valleys two was by far the first Valleys thing, and so, I think the first CD-ROM game with like lots of voices. And yeah, no, it was the first one with anime, and like I not only did and, it have and like, the lo- what did you think of those load times? Like the first time one of the cutscenes <laughs> is loading, and you like had ten like fifteen seconds. Well, I mean, okay, so first of all, we're talking about a very different time. Like I had a C sixty four with a disk drive so the load times on like a a TurboGrafx CD at the time while like kind of long and certainly nothing like people would put up with today I was like eh like it was not bothering me I don't know I just played through Assassin's Creed Unity (laughs) (laughs) that's true Mm -hmm. Um, so but like what sort of blew my mind about it is like it's not it's it's and this is what I think Jeremy did, like he was getting into like he doesn't quite get it you had to be there and you definitely did but like what it was is like it's very dark and it's very like mature for the time like serious there's it's serious like yes it's an honor I know we can look at this I like, mean it it really it seems to me like you know looking back and playing that it was tapping into the same kind of vibe both in terms of gameplay and in terms of 
uh, presentation that, that Tecmo was doing with Ninja Gaiden at, at the exact it same is. time. Like Ninja Gaiden 2 and Valley's 2 are a little similar, like, actually. Yeah. The beginning yeah. of Valley's 2, like, you know. All that demonic stuff. Right. Like, mm. that, that was actually really common in anime at yeah. the time. Yeah. That sort of, like, I mean, Megami Tensei and Utsuko uh, well, and, and by not and having Valley's 1, like you kind of miss the whole, like, starting out as a regular school student and, like, yeah. and you kind of go straight into, like, King well, of the Underworld. Well, it's really interesting. Yeah. She's, like, she's, like, woken up. It's, like, this is the story of Valley's 2 if you don't, like, especially if you don't know Valley's 1, of course, we did because it didn't exist in America. So, like, there's this this high school girl who at the time was older than me, actually, because right. I was, like, 13, woken up at night, uh, threatened. She, like... Is it Cham who comes? Or no, I, no. She just, like, I can't remember why, but she ju- she basically, like, you know, finds out she... I think she has, like, a vision or something. She has to... She has to go back to... No, the there's, there's a flashback at the beginning, yeah. like, her dead friend Reiko, who was, like, who was the sort of villain and heroine of uh, the first game, not that we knew, right. talking to her, what the fuck is going on? She's, like, in battle armor, suddenly she's, like, the first, I think the first level of Valis 2, I should have played this before talking, but she's actually in her, like, sailor pajamas. suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's Valis 3 is the pajamas. Okay, yeah, you're right. She's in her sailor suit, but she gets the sword of Valis, and she's, like, running through Tokyo at night, and it's filled with demons, and this is actually, like... And the music is really atmospheric. And then as you get to, like, you get through, um, you get to this, you know, boss fight. Um, and this guy challenges you. And you fight him and you defeat him. And then this other guy comes in and just chops him in half. And they fucking show the bisected, yeah, it's really bloody. gory corpse. Wow. Of the character, yeah. and if you want to see that, I made an awesome animated GIF of it uh, and put it on a Gama Sutra. So <laughs> yeah, so like it kind of delivered like this is what people in Japan are playing. Holy shit! And you like know, you know, I was this is, this is the same era of NES. NES yeah. was had yeah. really this, this this sort of family of anime that this aesthetic had. You know, it all worked with this kind of similar color palette, a lot of purples and really yeah. dark colors that just were really. You know, a, a big contrast to most NES games of the time. You know, and the, the sort of thing that most Americans were playing on on NES or uh, Genesis. It's hard point. to explain, I think, for people who weren't there, time particularly a lot like younger listeners, yeah. because they came up in this world of like omnipresent everything. Yeah. But like, like at the time, you know, like, I, and I think you can relate. Like, probably depending, like, I was thirteen, right? Like, I was starting to read like novels for adults. I was reading a lot. I mean, these are not like literature, but I was reading a lot so of. So you were reading Philip K. Dick, and you were like, "Oh, it's the oh, game. Yeah. It's a game I, based I on novelization." I was reading Stephen King. I was reading a lot of like Dean Koontz, which is like far from literature. But the point is, I was reading a lot of like macabre stories. I was trying to get a sense of like what I thought was interesting, or you know, I was pulling. I was reading weird sci-fi stories, and just like starting to get a bead on like. This is the culture for like for me as I get older, and like this slotted into it. Like it really, the transition between like NES and like Super Mario Brothers three, and then like literally like six months later, I'm playing this. Yeah, were you, you know, able to finish Valus two? Because I'll say like oh, yeah. Well, I went back and played it in post after having played Valus three, and it is a little wonkier. The controls are a little, oh, it, a little mushier. Well, that's the thing we're going to get into. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's that's why I've had trouble getting back into them because. You know, as much as the the aesthetic is interesting, and I like the visual style and the just the overall like, oh yeah, eighties anime, hell yeah! Like as a game, it a little it's, cumbersome, yeah, a little bit. yeah. Also, it's like for, it's your it's your average like forty five minute long game from right. like the era. Like I played through it again, probably like five years ago, but like recently enough that I re- recall. I feel like was there was, like. was there a um, 
was there a Game Center CX episode about volleys, or maybe maybe I just watched a Let's Play of it? It was very it was a very similar well, kind of experience. And a lot, you know, if you haven't, you mentioned SD Valis, Sid of Valis, which is a <laughs> remake of Valis Two, which came out later, which is easier. Well, the weird it's well the weird thing about it, so Valis Two came out, and then like you know, like I said. Okay, so the thing with the TurboGrafx was, like, there were no third-party publishers. NEC was publishing almost everything, literally almost everything in the West um, themselves, and they started pumping out Telenet's games. But, like, there didn't seem to be any, like, rhyme or reason to, like, how fast or when they would come out. And, like, as a someone who was, like, had the system, I was, like, always scouting out. So I played Valis 2, and then the next game I got was East 1 and 2, which came out around the Christmas of... Um, 91. 90. So you're kind of building, like, this is my yeah. jam. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I, I got it for Christmas as a Christmas present. I was super excited. I remember bothering my mother, like, make sure, like, you know, you hire when, like, you're young. I was still 13. You're still young enough to kind of be an annoying kid. Like, this better be there. Like, this is the thing that I want the most. Like, mm. please tell me that you got this. Until she finally said, yes, I got it. Will you, like, leave me alone? You spent Christmas in Darm Tower. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, I was building into this. And then... But, like, the the thing – it's not, like, the omnipresent information of today. Like, you did not know what was coming when or if it was coming. It might disappear. It might fall off the radar. Like, Chip sure, there was EGM. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, sure that back then, you know, the, the people who worked at the camera department of most of the <laughs> – Department stores in the city where I lived were sick of me calling like once a week saying, "Do you have Zelda 2? <laughs> yeah, like I mean, I would, oh, not until six months from now. <laughs> Shut up, kid. I would find out like uh, like the games I wanted were. I knew what games I wanted were out because I was at this point reading EGM, but like the, there were not release dates, there were not pre-orders. Like I would just call. Uh, EB and say like did you get it and then if they got it like I would bother my mom to like take me there like I remember when East 3 came out I like called Babbage's at the mall and I'm like did you get East 3 and they're like yeah we have it like we've had it for a couple days I'm like whoa I guess I didn't call recently like <laughs> can you like how many do you have she's like we have a couple copies I'm like well mom gotta go you know like this is like how it was uh, but yeah at the same time to sort of get back to what you were saying like at the same time the graphics like was floundering and NEC was being forced to release other games from the third parties themselves, like Renovation, which was the American arm of Telenet, like booted up as a Genesis publisher well, that, in 1990. Well, and that's where I got excited because <laughs> I was an early Genesis adopter. I loved my Genesis from day one and I saw that Renovation was starting to bring games to the U.S. The first one, Final Zone and Gain Ground, which wasn't even their game. And Granada, which was their Wait, game. Wait, Renovation published Game Ground? That's yeah, they did. They even did, though it's a Sega, Sega first party game? That's, Sega developed that's really weird. How weird. I think that? it was in Japan. I think it might have been not Sega also. I think it might have been like one of those like licensing deals or something. Huh. Hmm. But anyway, so I remember I rented Final Zone and I liked it, but it didn't have any of the anime aesthetic that I'd seen in like the Valise and, and uh, even though it's by Wolf Team. And, and, it, and it wasn't until... Where's like, my foofy hair? Damn right. it. <laughs> it wasn't until Valis 3, which like launched, simulta- yeah, was, which launched simultaneously. First? Okay. Um, that I really got a taste of that Valis magic. And then I was hooked. And that game was so much better than I thought it would have been because it had three distinct characters that had very different play styles and, like, unique stories. Um, and the other weird thing about these games is that, like, the versions of them for other consoles are really not the same game. They didn't come out at the same time. Like, it's not like today when you buy, I don't know, to bring back your favorite example, Assassin's Creed Unity on Xbox One or PS4 and it's the same game. It's like... No, different teams, like, at the same company made different versions using the same basic ideas but, like, different implementations. I mean, you've already brought up uh, Nihon Falcom, and uh, they they applied that a practice with games like East a lot. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. they licensed all the console versions of the East 1 and were, like, in the old days where East 1 and 2 were, like, licensed out in 3. And actually, didn't Telenet 
publish yeah, one East, of the versions of East 3? East 3, for the Genesis version of East 3, is actually a renovation game is, yeah. uh, developed by Telnet. Yeah. Well, and, that and, and like for me, Valus 3 actually exceeded my expectations because I hadn't played Valus 2 at that point, and I thought it was like legitimately a good game. I think EGM gave it like all eights, and like I, I remember thinking, wow, you know, th- this developer that I've been excited about is actually pretty good and like renovation started to be prolific and put out a lot of content on Genesis really quickly yeah they have probably like what 2025 Genesis yeah games including weird stuff like Dino Land a fun pinball game didn't they have like a uh, that insect shooter Insector X they yes, didn't they mm. weren't the original developer of that well, no but they, they published Sage, it they, they published okay. it Sage's Creation was Sage's Creation right? um, but things like Arcus Odyssey which they developed which was really good Arcus um, Odyssey is a neat game I played through that with Brandon Sheffield a while like yeah. six months ago it's fun. you know uh, uh, El Viento and uh, what's the Ernest Evans Ernest Evans well that's the other thing that's the weird thing we can get into that for like 30 seconds if we want but like well, El Viento Ernest Evans and Annette Annette Futabi are a series they are a loose well, yeah, series it's a loose series yeah, we can maybe talk about that later we can actually um, but I, I do better bring up uh, no, that's enough. That's one more kind of forgotten one that probably no one else has played. They had two RPGs for Genesis, Trazia um, and the other one's Sorcerer's Kingdom. And they're both pretty pretty solid, actually, like traditional RPGs that a lot of, not many people have played. There's also, a, Exile. There's like, yeah. Exile. The, the, and so, like, sort of parallel, this sort of dovetails with another, I'm sure we can give a link to, like, the working designs episode, but like working designs was like got its start on the turbo graphics. And the first fans. things they started to do after they did two Taito games was to start releasing some Telenet games and Cosmic Fantasy 2 for the turbo graphics was like you sort of said earlier, one of the first like fully voiced CD ROM JRPGs. God, I hate saying JRPGs about old ones. <laughs> RPGs. Like kind of treated with special care too, you know, yeah. like the packaging and whatnot. Yeah, no, it was like well, yeah, the beginning, uh, illustration the on the front cover may not be special care. <laughs> That's true. Maybe a different definition of special. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like at the time, it was exciting and fresh, and like you didn't know what it was. You did not live in this omnipresent soup of information and marketing. You didn't know what you were getting into. Right. You were just trying to find the things that would most interest you. And it was really during the 16-bit era, like sort of a Sega perfected the marketing of game- console games, where like we sort of moved towards this modern notion of like this is what everyone buys at the same time, like. You know, everyone likes well, the same shit. And it's interesting. On in Retronauts I was listening to, they kind of someone said that shmups for a hot second in 16-bit Genesis era were like the dude bro shooter, like the thing to market of the moment. And at that moment, when that was the hottest thing going, when Thunder Force 3 was like mind-bendingly beautiful. And night, it was like dude promoting right. Gaiares with a Solid nines. That oh, is that when, guy. right after Thunder Force 3 is when Renovation's Gaiares hit and in many ways, is one of the most impressive shmups on Genesis. My, my favorite personal is Musha, but, like, Gaiares actually has the best graphics. Like, aesthetically and technically, probably well, the best that's graphics. a good example of, like, of sort of the Telnet's, like, excellence in... Like, it has anime cutscenes. Of course, since it's Genesis, they just have text. Um, but the character designs are very distinctive, and I don't feel like that art style that they use in Gaiares is, like, really... Like, I could point to another it's example. It's almost like Langrisser or something. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's yeah. really interesting and unique. And then the game itself has really good music, really big bosses that, like, screen-filling bosses, right. which was, like, the, the, it's kind of the same. It was the same back then in a sense that it was, is today. Like, it was an arms race. All the publishers and developers were trying to outdo each other to see who could, like, wring the most right. out of the Bigger Genesis. bosses, more levels of parallax, longer levels. And Yagares has the most levels, the biggest bosses. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing game if you haven't played it.
And um, it's just like, well, and, renovation became this label that was like pumping out Genesis. And I think this kind of segues into what they were doing for PC Engine CD. They suddenly became even more so for Mega CD. I mean, it's almost as if when you're looking through the Mega CD racks in Japan, like 33% of the content is by some version of Yeah, it's of I believe it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of nuts. Like, the the is, launch like, titles were almost all Telnet games. A lot of people have nostalgia for the Genesis, and uh, especially if you weren't there at the time. I mean, even if you were there at the time, you weren't. It's hard to know this stuff. Like, the Genesis really was not at all popular in Japan. Like, as a platform, the Genesis, like the Mega Drive, as it's called there, and in Europe, is, like, no one bought it. It was, like, a distant third place right. in the 16-bit era. I mean, I, I love the Genesis, so I'm not, like, dumping on it. I'm just being honest, right? right? And the Mega CD was the add-on to the unpopular system. So, like, really, I don't know how many people mm-hmm. actually had Mega CDs. So it wasn't exactly a lucrative place that publishers were trying to jump onto. But I think that Telenet sort of developed this idea, like... We can make a lot of money. You know, they probably made a lot of money off of their PC Engine games because they supported it for a long time really enthusiastically. Like, if we're sort of the, the best game in town for these sort of, like, lower-tier systems, we can have a lot of success and accomplish a lot. So they really went... Like, they had launch games for the for the Mega CD. They had... Because, you know, they'd done all these Mega Drive games. And they supported it very heavily. Right. It was also kind of the beginning of their converting weird Laserdisc arcade games. Oh, yeah. Which... They have four of that I think if you look back in the pantheon of weird Laserdisc games from Japan are some of the better ones. Like, yeah. like uh, specifically, I think Time Gal is, is my favorite mm-hmm. of I'm all. I'm a big fan of Time Gal. I like Time Gal a lot. If I could only, you know, like in versus like Space Ace or, or any of those. Like, I, I think it's fun, cute, and wacky and fun to replay. Um, and and you know, they published it in America for the Sega CD, uh, re- Renovation. Yep. And Road Blaster and... Uh, Cobra Command. The Ninja Hayate, what's it called? It's, it's got a different title. What's Ninja Hayate called in here? In the U.S. For the Genesis, uh, something of the Ninja. It was the last one to come out here. If you play Time Gal, she goes to the future, and I think it's like 2001 or something like that. <laughs> right. So, Because, yeah, yeah, Laserdisc Arcade game, it was from the mid, early to mid-80s yeah, originally. And if you were a Genesis fan watching the Japanese launch of Mega City, there were all these RPGs like Fey Area and Isle. Yeah. Or, which are, and you're like, oh, what are, you know, like, we're, we're so starved for RPGs over here, yet this, the Especially Mega CD is redolent with them. The EG, EGM previews and stuff at the time were, like, postage stamp size, two screenshots, mistranslate the titles of the games. Like, this is a fu- actually a fun fact. Like, so, yeah, they put out this early launch, launch-ish, if not launch, Mega CD RPG called Fey Area, F-H-E-Y space A-R-E-A. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, the, the, the katakana for that is Fey Area. And... Somehow, like, EGM got in its mind that it was, like, Faria, which is, like, an a NES RPG mm-hmm. from a different publisher. And I rented Faria thinking it was, like, <laughs> related like, to Faria. I have to say, I, I played almost all their games last night for the Genesis, at least. And the, the titles are not at all indicative of what the games are. In this era of, like, SEO where this new Smash Brothers game is just called Smash Brothers, like, what is Iowa Lord? What is, like, I don't know if Dino Land is a pinball game or not. Like, just, yeah. like, they're not at all indicative of, like, no, what right. you're playing. You do not know what you're Which playing. I like a lot, you know. This was an era of discovery, both for the developers and for the players, I think. And it was, like, all filtered through this weird filter of, like, what's coming out in America? Like, what can we make a success of? Right. Like, And, and the weird thing is, like, Soul Feast. So. Well, well, I have Soul Feast here. Yeah. I think Soul Feast is one of the most unlikely pack-ins because it was a pack-in here for the Sega CD. So. Well, the, the weirdest thing is, so Soul <laughs> Feast was a launch game for the Mega CD in Japan. It's a 2D shooter. It's music by Motoi Sakuraba. It's so, mm. music's so over the top. He did a lot of oh music God. for Wolf Team, mm-hmm. and uh, for, it, it, as we'll probably get to, essentially still does. Um, and... Uh, Sega made it a pack-in with the Sega CD in Japan, and 
But I mean, sorry, in America. So I got I, Shane was showing me a visual aid, and I totally confused. He's pointing out a beautiful screenshot of so, aisle, aisle load. But at the same time, oh. Renovation <laughs> put out a cartridge version of it called Soldis, right? Which doesn't have great music since it's, <laughs> it's not like, orchestrated. I mean, it's probably got Sakuraba's music. I've actually never played the cartridge version, but like, but it's a really solid shooter as well. Actually, it has a lot of voices. It's yeah. good. They're good. So I'm, I'm kind of trending towards my, my dramatic assertion here that for those of us who were like Sega Genesis or Turbo Graphics kids, this was kind of our, like, second-rate Konami and Capcom. Like, yeah. like the, the the quality level was consistently hmm. B-minus or higher and very prolific and very Japanese. And I, I very rarely came away disappointed from a renovation or Telnet product throughout my 16-bit day. Like, yeah, I, mean, I could totally see that. They, they definitely, like, like, they definitely did the thing where they, which is really started in the 16-bit era of, like, we will get a boost because our presentation is better than other people's. So, like, yes, the Valus games on a core gameplay level are not, like, they're not as tight, they're not as responsive, they're not as thought through as, like, the high-level, even some of the 8-bit uh, games, but they definitely made up for that with, like, atmosphere and just interestingness. Yeah, and you see a real growth. Like, I think if you play the PC Engine Valus 1 remake, which is a super CD, um, the cutscenes are actually quite good. And if you, like, watch a Valus 2 cutscene and then watch a Valus you know, Phantasm Soldier cutscene, it's night and day of, of quality. And, like, you know, the gameplay feels tighter. The, you know, the, the graphics are a lot better. Um, and, like, Super Valus 4 for Super Nintendo... Uh, it's actually the best gameplay of the franchise. The, the, the game doesn't oh, yeah. quite hang together quite as well. But so this is the weird thing about Telnet. Um, and actually, Renovation. I found this out recently, actually. So um, they kept going through the Genesis, but as, of course, you know, the, the Super Nintendo became came out like in 1991. It became a big deal. And they started making Super, Fa- Super Famicom games just like a lot of other Japanese publishers. Like they got Pachinko, though, and Golf. No, they made, they made... They made a few. No, they oh, made... They, oh, they made that really good one, Dream... Psycho Dream. Psycho Dream. Mm-hmm. And I cannot remember the name of this game. So, oh, Neuger. Neuger? Oh, yeah, Neuger, which never came out here. But it was announced, and Renovation was going right. to publish it, but Sega bought Renovation. That's what happened. It was going to be called The Journey Home, right? Right. So yeah. it got canceled for the U.S. I have the Japanese version. You do, too, because I, I played it at your house. Yeah. That's how I got turned on to it. But, like... Um, yeah, they're, they're a little bit like a game freak in that way too. Like they never made Pokemon, but like you know, yeah. they, they had consistent quality in 16-bit era. They, uh, I think, because they were so like it's weird. You say this like it's hard to believe, but yeah, they were kind of a big deal. The Genesis, and I'm not sure. I'm assuming Sega bought them kind of to just kind of lock their games down or whatever. Not that it ended up having that effect. But um, Sega didn't buy Telnet though. They bought Renovation America, right. I think. It, just... It's very confusing. But like in the end, like they're they're Super Famicom games. The only ones I can think of that are really like Psycho Dream's cool. Well, and Psycho Dream is cool. kind of a forgotten classic. It's very. Have you played it, Jeremy? Uh, I haven't, but apparently, a rele- an attempt to release it in the U.S. as Dream Probe never panned mm. out. <laughs> I think you would really like it. Yeah, I would love to try it. It's out a sometime. weird Valacy kind of game. Like okay. it's 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 very uh, more, more psychedelic than Valacy. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I'm all about discovering you know these kind of. Uh, really interesting, maybe B-tier platformers and stuff from the AIDS 16-bit era that I never played before because there's this wealth of them and even stuff like this, like, no one ever talks about Psycho Dream. There, there's, like, the canon of, 
games that Americans are like, oh, this was a great import-only game. But that's the sort of thing that kind of falls outside of that. Oh, yeah. That sure. sort of narrow window. Those those are really interesting to me. I could spend a whole weekend playing Psycho Dream and Moon Crystal. <laughs> yes. Ah, yes. Moon Crystal's weekend. wonderful. All right. So we've we've um, pretty well covered the the basics well, about Telenet in, in, the fairly, the in fairly exhaustive detail. So um, <laughs> Well, we haven't gotten to the, the tragic denouement. Well, we'll we'll use that as a kind of okay. a bookend for the episode. But I think next we should talk about the Valise games because that's kind of the the main point of this episode. So we'll talk about that, and then we can wrap it up by talking about the sad, well, there's sad a, fate of Telenet. There's sad and happy fates to okay. certain parts of it. All right. But, well, let's take a break now. So you guys have um, definitely relayed a lot of information about Telenet itself, but we've only kind of briefly made glancing touches on Valise. Yeah. So uh, I think that's kind of the 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 soul of this episode. So it would be great to get a little more into that. And again, it's pretty much going to be you guys talking yeah. because <laughs> I, I, apologize. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a lot of experience with it personally. Um, and like I've said, I've you know I've I've dabbled in Valise a little bit and. Um, I just really can't get past the the game mechanics, which are well, it just you know well, it doesn't it doesn't quite gel the way that I want it it's to. It's basically Castlevania. It is, but the thing about Castlevania is that Castlevania works because everything fits together so well, and Valise is very much in that school of like I mean it's you know it's a step above Eight Eyes or something like that, but it just like it's the, floaty. the yeah the the the. Hits the, can the be... All the all the little parts, the level design, the character physics, all those things, just don't gel the way that. that but I would say that does. every every game has good ideas too. Mm-hmm. Unlike a lot of also runs, like every game has some good g- gameplay ideas, right? Or, and and the storytelling consistently kind of overcompensates for these slightly wonky controls and level design. But and the boss battles are decent too. Yeah, yeah, I would say that the quick establishment of chronology here or something like that. So the Valis series started is, in 1986, and but for the American release, like we talked about, the first was Valis 2 for the TurboGrafx-16 in right. 1990, followed by Valis 3, Three. F- for the Genesis. Right, then but we're not, we're not just talking about the U.S. Right, but like, yeah, I, so, I think it's important to set the press, you know, right, the, establish is, the, the, it is the interesting history for it. You know, by the time I played Valis 1, I had already played 2 and 3. So it was, for, I think in America, like, unless you imported Valis 1 on PC-88 or something. Which we, is zero people, literally. Right, probably like, so, like, we people. never got the, the, you know, the, the, the beginning of the story until we played it on uh, but, on Genesis. And, and, yeah. and when you go back and play Valis 1, it seems really quaint and simple and small in scope. In comparison to two and three, because it, it is really just the story of you go and her friend finding out about the dark world. A lot of it takes place in on Earth, actually. Whereas in Valis two and three, you're going to these insane, weird, crazy so, locations and playing multiple characters. The weird thing about Valis, or like the sort of, we we talked about this. You know, it was part of the like what was going on in, in like anime at the time. Essentially, the main protagonist is this girl Yuko. She is actually a princess of uh, Vicanti. Vicanti. Yeah, who, which is a sort of another realm. I was never clear when I was a kid if it was a spirit realm or if it was a real realm. I think it is a real realm. 
She um, is an average high school senior who happens to possess a heart completely balanced with equal parts of yin and yang. She is, therefore, potentially the greatest warrior of all the worlds. So she's not an average high school student. Guess yeah, not. it's kind of undercuts that. It's misleading. <laughs> so, but she's be- being raised as Wait, a wait, t- look how shady her friend Reiko looks in the photo there. You can just tell oh, Reiko, yeah. Reiko is yeah. up to no good. Oh, well, this is real art. Like, right? this is not, yeah. like, redrawn art inside the manual. But no, you can tell, like, yeah, her best friend is, is doomed by looking really sick. Yeah, Reiko Kirishima. Yeah. She is a high school student born into money, but not love. Oh. <laughs> but uh, so, so the so the gist of it is: there's these two realms, um, Vicanti and Earth. And Yuko is actually a princess of Vicanti, but she has been placed into Earth, and she is raised as a Japanese high school student. Right. She is the Valis warrior, and she is called to defend Vicanti and. Uh, Castle Vanity, Queen, what's her name? Varunia? Yes. And, like, she later meets her sister, Valna slash Varna, in Valis 3. Yeah. Is Castle Vanity a re- uh, reference to Castlevania? I hope so. It's like a, it's like a really, really beautiful Castlevania. Yeah. <laughs> Dracula's so, just like, I'm so gorgeous. But, uh, that's, more, that's more like the Alucard era, though. You know, the long, flowing tresses. But, uh, so, yeah, it's this sort of high-concept, sort of, like, anime stuff going on. But, essentially, yeah, you play, like, a Castlevania-ish game that starts in Tokyo and sort of ends up in... The inevitably yeah. ends up in Vicanti. And Vicanti is really fucked up. It's, like, a fantasy realm via, like, yeah, it's sort of... It's Lots hellish. of parallax clouds Creepy and monsters, weird bruise-like colors. Yeah, uh, a lot of pink and purple. Weird castles, two-headed tigers, that kind of crap. Yeah, and uh, for me, uh, you know, it was it was not as good as Ninja Guy or Castlevania, but it was, no, it's not. It was that with, with, like, sexy girls in sailor suits and demons. Like, you know... Yeah. Which, like... I think that, like, they, they do something interesting. Like I said, they do something interesting with every game. Like, Valis 2 is actually really meat and potatoes. It's, like, a floaty Castlevania-ish game. Right. But it has a lot of atmosphere, and that was definitely enough for me in 1990. Um, and then Valis 3 has the three playable characters, which yeah. play very differently. And yeah. I really enjoyed playing as, like, Cham. A, she has a whip, so it suddenly feels like Castlevania when you play as her. Um, and then the other character, Valna, she's more of a magician, so it felt like playing as Sifa in Castlevania 3. So that, that one had a lot of replay. I beat Valis 3, like, multiple times mm-hmm. uh, on Genesis and had a really good time of it. Yeah. And then uh, Valis 4, which didn't come out. Wait, is there a version Super of Valis 4? Super Yeah, no. There only, is not. It only came out for yeah. Super Nintendo in, in North America. Yeah. So, I don't think it came out for Mega Drive in Japan either. It's PC Engine. Yeah, I think they dropped the Mega Drive yeah. at a certain point. But it's yeah. PC Engine, not TurboGrafx, because that by the point, TurboGrafx had pretty much died. Or And, um, yeah, there's a Super Nintendo version that was put out by Atlas, because as we talked about, like, renovation got acquired by Sega, so they didn't do any of their own Super Nintendo games. Um, it has the best control, for sure. It definitely does. It has really good music, even though it's not a CD game. But it doesn't have much in the way of cinematics because it's not a CD game. But it does carry, like, the Valis series has this, I think it's pervasive atmosphere of just sort of, like, weird, unsettling world being dragged into it and having to deal with it is kind of, does add something that's sort of intangible. And you can't say, like, yes, these are better than Castlevania games because they're not. But it it's not as trivial as, like, ooh, good graphics, you know, right, right. for me, it, it actually brought something to me. Did you go back and play the Valis Phantasm Soldier for Super CD? I've played it. I didn't finish it. Because I think it is actually maybe the best one. Mm. It was probably the last it one. It was the last one. And I think it shows you that they actually had this idea of going back and, like, remastering and making this director's cut, re, uh, you know, re-envisioning the series. And I think that, but like— the, the remake just totally threw out the original game's level design yeah. and just started basically from the, the top up, right. the bottom up, and— 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of us kind of hoped that one day maybe this would get revived either with a new one or a remake instead years later. Yeah. Oh. Have we, have we, before we get into <laughs> horror, um, can we, I mean, have we communicated what makes Valis interesting to people like you two who, you're you're you haven't with really it. talked much about the story at all. I mean, oh, you've yeah. said, you know, there's Yuko and she's like the, the, her, okay. the queen or the princess, but. Does her mother die? It's, it's a, it, there's lots of death. There's lots of death. Yeah, yeah. that's very, it's very, it's very <laughs> macabre of, and melodramatic. You know, one of, the, one of the really interesting things about the series that makes it stand out in its time is its emphasis on women. Like it's yeah, predominantly right. female characters. The the protagonist and the the antagonist well, the, alike well, tend to be a, uh, largely women. There are there are some male. There's some big male antagonists, yeah. uh, but like they tend to be like Rogueless. Yeah, Rogueless. They tend to be more like demonic beasts as opposed to humanoids. Yeah, it's actually interesting. Like it's got these sort of like the kind of the Voltron thing of, like, these people are basically human, but they're not quite, like, in terms of the antagonists. Like, some of the, uh, like, the rogueless army, those people who are, like... like half man, half bird. Well, I just stuff. meant more meant, like, just, like, they're guy, but with blue skin. For right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like wearing crazy armor. Uh, they they threaten, and they're, like, the sort of the driving force, but, the, I mean, behind, like, you know, I have to go eventually confront this guy, but ultimately, yeah, it's, it's about, like... Yuko and her friends, who are they're like I don't think there are any male playable characters no, in the franchise. It's all females. Hmm. Yeah, and it, this was like it's funny. It's like I hate, I hate having to say this. It's like before the modern era of like really over the top, like making them all like sex objects. Like it's actually they were just cool characters. Yeah, I mean, um, I know. I think was it the the Turbo version of the remake. Uh, one of them uh, has a lot of like panty flashing in the cutscenes. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, let, I'm not pretending that it's like this was the much tamer twenty years ago version yeah. of of the same right. kind of it idea. Feels, like we're right. we're right. putting in female characters. Even these super deformed SD Valis, like the the ultimate unlockable is like a tiny itty bitty bikini on this like SD version of you. <laughs> yeah, that's what we should talk about. Like Sid of Valis, yeah, is it's called in the US. That that one that one was always interesting to me because I saw you know I'd go to the rental. Stores and see, you know, the Valleys games, and then there was Sid of Valleys. I was like, "What?" Because in Japan, this this happens where they make, and then later, yeah, I discovered it was SD. Right, they make a super deformed version of a popular franchise, but it never comes out in America. We don't get SD Gundam, we don't get SD Splatterhouse, but we got SD Valleys. Did we get Virtua Fighter Kids? We did. That's the one. That's the one we did. Yeah, but it's weird because it's actually a remake of Valleys Two, right? Hmm. And it's the only version of Valleys Two for the Sega hardware. Like, yeah, if so, you want to play Valis 2, you have to play it on PC. Yeah, 1, 2, and 3 came out, but only as Sid of Alice. Yeah, so it's – and it's really cute and really long. And uh, and it actually has regular real art on the cover, whereas Renovation went to strange lengths to change the art for every other Valis But release. the thing is it doesn't – the cover of the American version does have SD Valis characters, but it also has SD Cosmic Fantasy characters That's and true. SD characters from another franchise because it's like – in Japan, it was the cover of like a board game. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that had of like a Renovation board game That's game true. that had like all of their characters. Wow, board game. So it's like, well, I don't know why they didn't use the Japanese cover of SD Valis. Yeah, they wanted to use as, as a Valis fan, I was excited to buy Sid of Valis. Like, yeah, me too. Sid Barry. Of Alice. Mm. I was very confused because, like, I, I bought it at the time. Like, I, like, and actually, this is kind of the weird tension I had at the time. Like, so I was introduced to the series via Valice 2. It was a CD game. It had the cutscenes and stuff. And, like, I'd see then Valice 3 came out for the Genesis before it came out for the P- TurboGrafx. And I was like, Did you feel betrayed? I would, no, not betrayed, but I was like, I had this. I'm like, I want to buy it. I want to buy Valice 3. I want to buy Valice 3, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to wait. I'm going to like see if there's. It was months later, though. Yeah, I was like, so I just like had this. And then I didn't end up buying Valice 3 for the the Turbo Graphics because, like, whatever, things had moved on or whatever. But, like, 
Yeah, I had this, I, but I did break down and buy Sid Vallis because it was definitely different and it wasn't like a duplication or whatever. And like that is a fun game. It's very, it's got the same melodramatic, like complicated story as the Vallis Two, where like, uh, you know, the characters like you know, like Reiko, the girl we just alluded to, who who was rich but did not have love, <laughs> uh, ends up d- becoming the antagonist and dying during Vallis like One in your arms. Yeah, and then she resurrects as, like, a spirit and, like, sort of advises you in the beginning of Alice 2. And she still comes back as, like, a spirit. A and, cute spirit. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't know. There's just enemies are creepy in that, like, Japanese, like, demonic sort of creepy way that things can be. It's it's just definitely. Yeah. But, like, yeah, the story of actual Valis, like, I don't know that I have a coherent story in my head of, like, what the franchise is actually. Like, at the time, it was like flashes of cool ideas and cool images to me because, first of all, Valis 1 hadn't come out. Second of all, like it doesn't it, – there's a limitation to how much storytelling you can even do on a CD game of the time. And then I didn't continue with the franchise. So, but by the like, time of Valis at the time. 3, you discover that you're like, you know, this chosen one who's been like, you know, a reincarnated heroine who has to save the world and your sister is there. And he's kind of this, this other reality – that that is your life that you that you go is now kind of forced to constantly yeah. summon back to like save the world over and over again. She's not she's more of a you know adult. By, she's essentially by the time of like three. a goddess as well. Yeah. Like essentially at the end of Alice three is she essentially I think she dies. Doesn't yeah, she? And she maybe she's, 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 I think yeah. she transcends. I think she, she does. She becomes, I think she, a she becomes a goddess at the end of three, and she, then four she, she goes full Luna. Yeah, Yugo mm-hmm. is not the protagonist of four. No, it's like some redheaded chick. I forget her name. Yeah, um, four I really lose track of like what the story is about. Yeah. But I mean, the, the character the in, in four is basically Yuko, but a palette swap, right? But I think it's meant to take place in the in the pa- you know in, after Yuko's ascended and like the next generation of you know uh, if, she might even show up in the cutscenes or something. Maybe I, mean, I don't know. I, like, that's a, that's the one I've only played through once. I have this. It sounds so stupid because I've owned these games for so long, but at some point I do need to sit down and actually like sequentially play through all the PC Engine Valve games and beat them. Yeah, I've I've played through them all in the last ten years, but not in the last few years. And you know, I, I think they do hold up to an extent. If you if you were there, if you've never played these games, I think Valus Three would be the one to go for first because it is really the peak. If you're gonna play one, play through Valus Three. It's also the longest. It's probably like twice or three times as long as the first. Are you one. talking about Genesis or the? Uh... I think Genesis is probably the most playable. It, just the controller is better. That's one of the things. Having extra buttons, like the high jump, is on its own button on Genesis, whereas on. On PC Engine, you have to like press up and jump, and it's a little wonky. Yeah, and high jump's kind of important in Valus Three. Yeah, I would also say that, like, I mean, we do live in the YouTube era. Like, you can just get a taste of what these games are about mm-hmm. by by watching yeah. YouTube's. I kind of hate recommending that to people because what I don't like is when people completely rely on that, like, and then form to form an opinion because like you can't quite well, get and, like, there. But and I was just saying while we're on break, you know, recently I went back and bought a CRT monitor because I wanted to play my games in the way that they originally appeared and to see the actual sprites on in bright colors and, and like it really does make a difference if you play this game on a tube versus watching a YouTube video or playing it on HD. You can get an upscaler and that that way. I mean, we're going to get to the point where emulation is actually going to. They're starting to get to the point where they're using like shaders, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. stuff to to make things look great, right? But, and God, what what game was it I was playing that actually has uh, television tube distortion? Was it like uh, the Final Fight Capcom thing on Xbox? Oh, it was something else. But there's there's a few games oh, that think, have been doing it. I, yeah, I was playing an M2 game that had that recently. Oh yeah, the M2 GB yeah, uh, 3DS game. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
and I was, well, while looking back at the history of Tonlet, I was a little shocked that they never really fell into making more Game Boy and Game Gear stuff. They have like one game for each, as far as I can tell. It's just kind of surprising because of that era, a lot of times. I mean, they may just that. not have been happy with the reduced power of those systems. They, they seem to be a company that, no matter what, was always trying to make a pretty, you know, high-end visual audio yeah, I mean, experience. Yeah. What they were drawn to, I think, about the PC Engine was the fact that it was a CD because they did not mm-hmm. make... I don't think they made a single cartridge, turbo chip, Hue card, whatever you want to call it, for the system. They only made CD games. And then, obviously, the, the appeal of the Mega Drive... Apparently, to, no, that's wrong. I, apparently, I was looking at the list, and they did, like... They did the weirdly bad version of Golden Axe for PC Engine. Hmm. What? Hmm. Was that not a CD? No, it was a chip. Oh. I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I think... Maybe it's a CD. Um... They, I think it's a CD, but um, they also um, were probably drawn to the Mega Drive because it was the most powerful raw power of, yeah. of the 16-bit systems, really. And I guess it's hard to say, but, you know, it's, Super Nintendo has its own things that it well, does. Right. And I guess yeah. as we approach the gentle denouement of Telnet as 16-bit, you know, wanes and 32-bit comes out, they, they quickly kind of find themselves a relic you know, well, like, things changed a lot during yeah. that generation. Yeah. Uh, and probably selling their U.S. division probably, I don't know what the thinking behind it was, but probably didn't put them in any good position to continue to, like, make new fans or whatever, really. Um, I mean, they, I did, mean, they did put those Legendous games in Japan probably to PlayStation 1 and Saturn. But also, like, probably I would guess, like, putting all your eggs in the Mega CD basket was probably not... The best right. basket to put your well, because I'm, I'm I'm sitting here with one of their only PS1 games, a game called Cybernetic Empire, um, which is like kind of a strange mix of like CG cutscenes and real time action with adventure elements. Like it, it just doesn't. I played a little bit of it. I think Christian, you tried it too. Yeah, it, I've tried it, but I never really. It just doesn't feel like anything they had done previously. Right. It really wasn't up to par. With yeah, it like, just didn't. Feel, it felt like a generic PlayStation One game. Right. So I mean, much were, so that I just didn't care. So many Japanese developers that just couldn't make the jump from. 2D to 3D. Yesterday yeah. we did an episode on the Tiny Toon games, and uh, or recently we recorded an episode on the Tiny Toon Adventure games, and talked about Treasure. And Treasure was one of those companies. Mm, like right. they just did not get into 3D gracefully, and they managed to survive a lot longer than some of these other publishers, oh, developers. Really. Though you can because point to 3D they, games they made though that are great. What's that? You can point to 3D games Treasure made like a few, Yeah, <laughs> Cinnabon. They were def- and... around that same era. They were you know like the stretch panics of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, like, right. Uh, it was it yeah. was a tough time for them. It was a tough transition, and they've kind of dropped off the face of the earth. Right. It just seems but, like the, the but they, they managed to weather, uh, you know, the, the generation, generational transition into 32 bits. Well, but they did a lot more gracefully GBA by – Well, that, but I was going to say during the Saturn era, they just kept doing 2D stuff, and mm-hmm. they did it better than anyone. And they, they mm-hmm. really kind of pushed the limits of, of 2D. And I, I feel like there weren't a lot of other developers that – that continued to carve that niche for themselves. Well, if we talk about Wolf Team and what actually happened to Wolf Team, then we're going well, to sort of around, yeah, like, mirrors what you're I talking I think about. around the same time of this, of Telnet making this thing with Wolf Team's name on it, Wolf Team was becoming Tails Studio, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I want well, the third on this. Yeah. Um, why don't we talk about Wolf Team? Because it is kind of an important. Uh, At least to, to cap it off. Yeah. Right? What is a happy ending? It's it's okay. Actually, why don't we talk about the sad ending first? Oh God! So <laughs> the Elise has not had not totally vanished off the face of the earth uh, after the PC Engine and Sega CD era. Oh man, you guys look so sad right now. <laughs> it's better. Um, to, it, it it disappeared for a while and then uh, well, Telnet, Telnet yeah. bought a uh, like a visual 
novel publishing company, right? What really happened, I think, actually, if I recall correctly, and I'm sure this is probably somewhere in like any of your internet archive with insert credit or it, <laughs> or it's still up on insert credit, like there was this need to generate money. The 3D games like Cybernetic Empire were not doing it. Telnet was slowly constricting and dying, I think, and essentially they got to the point where well, let's. We need some money. Let's turn Valis into porn. Oh. Let's just put it out. Oh, there. did they make her moe? No, they, the characters no, are. She went hard. She went hardcore. They 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 look like you know contemporary renditions of okay. the '80s style. So sharper, harder designs. Not not as foofy hair. The eyes aren't quite as big and shiny, but generally the same thing. It's yeah. just they're naked, and you know. <laughs> I think they said there are a lot of female characters in this series. We can make them all have sex. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, so, it, it's a really disappointing legacy for a series that was so so predominantly uh, represented by by women, you know, by female protagonists and antagonists. Um, they all were just tor- turned into yeah. sex meat. I did notice in the in the PC eighty eight games and maybe the other microcomputer games, there is a little bit of nudity, you know, but it's not like excessive. In the in the games that came out for you know Turbo and Genesis, no nudity. Not, not in the US, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. a little PC, bit of suggestive games. kind of you know tentacle. There's like side stuff. nipple, but oh. it was nothing, nothing yeah, ever not, ex- yeah. super wow. explicit. Like you know, typical for anime of the time, a little bit of toplessness. I think every microcomputer game needed some, like at least one boob in it. That seemed to be kind of the the way of things, but but Valius takes it way beyond. Well, it's, it was called Valus X. That pretty much tells you everything you need to know. I think it was a. Uh, I, I've never experienced it. I don't really. I saw some uh, some some tastefully cropped screenshots that were not still seared into my brain of Yuko in 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 a well in the art distress. The art thing. wasn't you know 100 percent perfect with what it used to look like. Well, either. no, I mean yeah. we're just talking, about it looked uh, it was it was Yuko. Like let's face it, was, it. like uh, and that but that was the last gasp of of what of the Valis franchise. It, but I'll say it's one of the sadder ways for a franchise to go out. I think of of every series we've ever talked about on Retronauts, that is. <laughs> Actually, the worst and most it is. inappropriate, unfitting, unwanted ending. So, was it just a visual novel then? Yeah, or, I think so. Okay, yeah. I was wondering what the PC, genre PC was. Only. It was, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like um, Fawcett Amore or something like that, where it's like soft titillation in between, or Steam Hearts or something, soft titillation in between. You know, standard gameplay like action gameplay. It was mm-hmm. pretty much visual novel. Yeah, I think it was just like let's ring some money on this franchise. Like we have this IP, it's got some value to it. Like we'll turn it into visual novel and sell it to the like arrogate crowd on the PC, and that's what happened. I'm almost glad it didn't take off and become like you know a porn. Well, I mean, festival. Of let's face values. it, just, as Jeremy's saying, it's like not a good fit, right? No, for, it's also not a good fit for like the people who play arrow games. Arrow game, as far as I can tell, mostly want like. You know, different kinds of stories, mm-hmm. right? Than, and than, than probably Christ. younger characters too. So she's—I mean, she's already a high school senior. That's it's <laughs> kind of an old old lady there. Yeah, you know, one of the girls in Senran Kagura is supposed to be thirteen, I think. <sighs> How do they localize that? I think they make her fourteen. She talks about college a lot. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to majoring in uh, ninja arts. Ninja arts. Anyway, so that's the sad ending, but there's a happy ending too. Well, we should we should say, you know, the other part of the sad ending is that or I guess a kind of a happy ending mm. is that Valise X did not save Telenet's bacon and that the company yeah. dissolved in two thousand seven and 
like Shane mentioned, its rights, at least especially to the, I think, the Wolf Team stuff, have been sold to uh, Sunsoft. Yeah, no, I think the rights all to accounts. I think and, the rights to everything are, okay. are under Sunsoft. And um, apparently, a lot of their games are available on Project Egg, which is a Japanese digital distribution service. I wish Ray were here because he really knows a lot about it. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's you know something similar to Steam or um, PSN or whatever. Um, but it's kind of specifically for Japanese stuff. And it's like the I think it started games out of Japan. Yeah, I think it started out as an MSX. Um, yeah. service and kind of expanded into other things. So on Japanese PCs. On Japanese PCs. So there you know the the this the the properties have not been totally forgotten, but they just haven't some been of it's made available on, here. Some of it's on Japanese PSN as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The PC Engine game. But the 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 single like aggregator for it is Project Egg and mm-hmm. then there are little bits and pieces of the Telenet and the Valise legacies here and there around other services, but again, all in Japan. Because Sunsoft still exists. They just don't really make games right. anymore. They just sort of manage their IP. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw their booth at, at uh, TGS. Really? They had a booth? Yeah, they had a booth right next to the um, the women-oriented, um, like, what, what, what was that? The, yeah, the dating game thing where you could, like, oh, the you, yeah, ladies that, could go and pose with... With, with um, a dude, yeah. That, well, it was it was women dressed as men, oh, wasn't really? it? Yeah. I walked past it. It was, like, it was all romantic and, yeah, yeah. it was... It was it was really interesting because it was a a real contrast to the um, semi naked booth babes that that otherwise dot the floor. But actually, so Sunsoft had a booth. Just out of curiosity, what were they showing? At they weren't. It was just. It was basically like nothing. It was okay. <laughs> I actually I actually thought that dating thing was Sunsoft's booth, but it was like adjacent to Sunsoft. Probably they're just like you can come and have a meeting with us. To yeah, it was it was pretty much for meetings, but it was on the floor as opposed to being off in the mm. know, like the international business area or whatever. Huh. So, yeah, Sunsoft owns the rights to the games. This is uh, just the way it is now. Like, essentially, I don't know if I could talk about this. Well, but at least the rights are a known quantity and they're owned by a real company. A real company that will theoretically allow them to be licensed again or to be published I'm, again. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, my curiosity is peaked now. What is it you can't talk about? Victor Ireland convinced Sunsoft, well, he, when he had that brief period of working oh, with Sunsoft, yeah, yeah, yeah. he right. convinced them to buy the rights ah. to the Telenet catalog because yeah. he wanted them to be able to have access to it. Right, okay. Well, I, I don't say I do work with Victor because he is involved with, you know, Gaijin and uh, Monkey Ball. Oh, right, right, yeah, and, and Class of Heroes and that sort right, of thing. Right, Class of Heroes 3G coming out soon for PS3. Is it? Yeah, it's actually, okay. it's in production, physical production. Good. But, uh, I mean, the reason is because, like, I think it got a lot. I think essentially, like, it was a good idea because he had a really close relationship with Sunsoft at the time. But then Sunsoft changed direction again and sort of the games are stuck in that vault now. Yeah. And, and they're kind of inaccessible. Then there's, you know, I don't know what the best hope would have been, like, to if, if someone could have ex- accessed them otherwise. I think there's but, still inroads to get to them. So I think yeah. hope, spri- hope springs eternal for this stuff. I think that hopefully it won't be buried. So anyway, yeah, let's uh, let's let's finish up by talking about the happy ending of, of the Telenet legacy. Yeah, well, um, it's funny. The real happy ending. It's funny because Tales now seems like this ubiquitous crazy thing, but when Tales of Fantasia was first announced, it was a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tales of Fantasia for the SNES, which was made by Wolf Team, 
I don't understand. This is what I don't understand. Like, how did Namco contract Wolf Team? Like, how did this happen? Do you know? Okay, so I tried reading about this. And again, it's all kind of sketchy and, like, different sources say different things. But it sounds like – I think I wrote it down. Um, Where was that? Okay, so in the – I want to say – Early 90s, the division, the Wolf Team division was actually spun off from Telenet and made its own external individual entity. And they continued to work closely with Telenet, but I think at that point they were also allowed to contract with other, other developers and publishers. Um, and then Telenet actually bought a, a, a stake or whatever and sort of reabsorbed Wolf Team again. And... Um, then something else happened, and the company, the Wolf Team, was actually fully reabsorbed into Telenet. But I don't think the Wolf Team was really happy about that, and they all left and formed a company called Triace. And I think that um, the Fanta- Tales of Fantasia debacle actually sort of sowed the seeds of them leaving. From my my understanding is that um, Namco wanted a lot of changes. Um, that they weren't happy about, so they basically said, "No, we're going to go do our own thing." I, yeah, I don't I know. Don't it's it's all really understand the the tr- first of all the Triace Wolf Team thing and like how that happened, and then how Tails people essentially because like you talked about this way early on. Like, well, well, basically, um, the Wolf Team people left and formed Triace, mm-hmm. and so Telenet was stuck with this name like an empty shell, basically, and said, "Well." Like, you know, Namco still has this contract with them to make Tails games, so let's refill Wolf Team with new talent. And they rehired new people in to Wolf Team, Mm -hmm. and they continued to make Tails games for Namco and became Tails Studio. But they're not the same Wolf Team. Like, but the, I'm not. The, the old Wolf Team is now Triace. The, all of them left or just a few key members? Like I think it was a lot of them. The thing is, I, I, I guess the one thing that makes me suspicious that it's not 100% of everyone left is because Motoi Sakuraba stuck with the Tales franchise, the composer. But who was, composers tend to be free agents. Right. Yeah, He's but not, also yeah. Japanese He's, people tend to be very relationship-based. Uh, like, why would they stick with a franchise they had no connection to? Yeah, but I've, I've, seen, I've seen that happen um, a lot with composers where – They'll kind of work both sides of the field. Yeah, I'm interested. I'd love to know more well, about what but happened. But ha- having played Fantasia, it does have a lot of the spirit of old classic Wolf Team. I have a feeling it's, there's some people who still – maybe right? it's still there. But then I, I do see some of that spirit going off into Trias games as well. Mm-hmm. But, like, but it gets a little further away. Like when, when you play Tales of Fantasia, you can see bits of like cosmic – you know, Cosmic fantasy. Yeah, in it. Of, like the thing about like old – even like – the older Tales games, like, they definitely have a lot of that kind of spirit. But the other thing is, like, if you play, like, old Trias games and old Tales games, like, you definitely see that they're not, like, they're kissing cousins. Like, it's obvious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interfaces and the way they oh, play yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So it's... Tales of, Tales of Destiny and Star Ocean 2, like, they're yeah. they're kind of the same thing yeah. in a lot of ways. So it's, it's interesting. But, yeah, essentially, like... The well, I mean, this becomes a sad ending again, considering the last thing fucking Trice made was Lightning fucking Returns. So like, that's a I like that game. I recently started Resonance of Fate. I oh, rolled my I eyes. That doesn't come across on. on yeah, in fact, on you talking about the battle system made me want to start it. Oh, awesome! I'm proud. So. We'll see if I get through it. Yeah, Trice is. Um, it seems to be more of a uh, you know like a, a contractor now. I just think there's not a lot the, of options. Yeah, probably. So is Tri Crescendo like the shadows on the wall of Wolf Team? I don't even know what Tricrescendo is. Yeah, that's is. a good question. Yeah, no, Tricrescendo is interesting because... <laughs> Were they, um, what's that called, um, Eternal Sonata? Did they do that yeah. game? Yeah. yeah. Oh. And, uh, and, and uh, Botan Kaidos. Hmm. Oh, that's good. I thought Botan Kaidos was Monolith. 
It is. It's both. Like if you turn, I just turned on a copy of Vatankaidos like a month and a half ago, and it says Monolith Soth, Tricrescendo, or maybe hmm. in the other order. But Xenoblade is just Monolith, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. No, no try there. Also, during the era of like, for some reason, when Monolith instead of saying Monolith Soth, their logo said MLSI for whatever reason mm-hmm. during Vatankaidos. <laughs> I don't know why. For a while, it's Monolith Software Incorporated. Yeah, presumably, but for some reason, they just they they changed the logo for a while and then they changed back. Huh. So back to. Tales Studio. <laughs> it's funny. Tales Studio is still running, made like Zillia, but like we, we were imagining that none of those people were X Wolf team guys anymore. Anyway. I don't know. Like the thing is, like so there was always this this sort of fanny supposition. We're getting to the territory of like what I understand is definitely not 100 percent real, but like there was this feeling that like there was Team Destiny, as it was called mm-hmm. colloquially, and sort of Team Symphonia. And it, Symphonia was the GameCube one. It, it was, was good. Full 3D. It's a good game. But the, there were 2D ones. Like, they kept making 2D ones for a long time. It took them a long time to jump into 3D. And sort of the first 3D Destiny one is, is Tales of Grace's F. And you can actually see, like, the parallel. Like, Destiny 2 for the PlayStation, some of the ideas from that were actually reused in Tales of Grace's F. So you can definitely tell there's, like, someone on the creative side kept that line mm-hmm. going, whereas the Symphonia side had the, uh, the like, the, LM, the full 3D LMBS that you could, like... Right. Like, Symphonia went into Vesperia, etc. Anyway, there's definitely people. There's, like, I would bet money there's people there who are still hmm. from those days. I just don't know enough about it to actually explain what is happening. Yeah, I mean, probably some. Uh, but I looked for names, and I couldn't find names mm. to say, like, who left Wolf Team, who was Wolf Team. But, like, that information... It just doesn't exist, at least not in the English-speaking I, I would almost argue that Tales is, is, like, the most reliable, traditional JRPG franchise that hasn't gone any weird directions, hasn't gone free-to-play, hasn't gone... Yeah, hasn't gone like, to an MMO. You know, yeah, like, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, everybody's gone strange left turns. Tales has pretty much stayed on course. And, yeah, and, and kind of really plays reliable. Like, kind of plays like a game you would have played Megaten. on... Mm. Megaton has it's not. It's had weirder offshoots, but you know the mainline has remained. That's pretty, true. It's just pretty... very. It's less frequent. Like Tales, like I think, and even, I actually talked to Baba, the producer of Tales, recently, and like that is kind of the task they have set themselves with. Like we will be reliable. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, it does lead to some level of cliche, like a tremendous level of cliche at times. Mm-hmm. But like they're like, we will be reliable. We will be the game that like fans right. can count. But at on. the same time, like any Tales game that comes out, kind of in a way, will play like a game that would have come out for. <laughs> PC Engine CD or Omega CD, and that's kind of encouraging in an era when everyone has tried so hard to make you know Lightning Returns or you know uh, Dragon Quest uh, Eleven. Eleven, ten, Tw- ten, nine, twelve. Nine. Dragon Quest Eleven is awesome, guys. I I don't know if you've seen anything about it yet, but <laughs> I mean, I so see good. your point. Like uh, Tales is is good. I am definitely not in the Lightning Returns deserves to exist camp, so <laughs> I am. Uh, I would think the Earth would be a better planet without the game. It's weird that, like, Tales is so reliable, but everything Tries makes used to be so different. Like, the weirdest ideas, Mm -hmm. the weirdest battle systems, like, everything was always just so, yeah, I don't know, things you haven't seen before. I mean, the weirdness has become kind of codified. Like, Mm -hmm. all the things that made those games stand out and strange are just, like, those are the foundations of that series now. Like, Tales when it started out, was really interesting yeah, because you true. had this combat system that was real-time, and it actually drew a little bit of influence from fighting games. Like, yeah, you I, were pressing yeah. button combos to attack, and, like, there was even kind of, especially Combo in Destiny, like, and... yeah, like, you could break combos, break defense, you you had fire-type, fireball-type motions and uppercuts and things like that. And that was weird. That was, like... I'd never played an RPG like that when Tales of Destiny came out, and it was really kind of intoxicating and exciting. And now all the Tales games do that. That's just how they are. Like I said, the the sort of strangeness has been codified, and where Tales of Fantasia, Tales of Destiny were at one, you know, they were kind of like 
pushing new ideas and and doing strange mergers of genres. Um, I actually, I think maybe that was just true for Fantasia and Tales of Destiny. I remember the ad campaign for that in the U.S. was like, this is why you got into RPGs in the first place. It was actually mm-hmm. pushing back against Final Fantasy yeah, VII right. and all the games that were moving into 3D and saying, no, no, systems. This, yeah. is, this is classic. Except at the same time, it was still like that really funky action RPG system. So mm. like it, it managed to balance that like innovation and you know classic nostalgia. Yeah. And there's not really... There's not really that innovation in the the yeah, Tales games anymore. I remember actually, yeah, like to, when I played Destiny, which was the first one that got released in the U.S. Like I just come off of Xenogears, which is like the like full 3D oh, and super, and the story couldn't be more traditional compared yeah, to Xenogears. And Xeno I was just Gears. like, this is like a breath of fresh air. And yeah, that's how I felt at the time. Yeah, no, I did too. Mm-hmm. Although the the story definitely like it feels like it ends, and then there's the whole second half of the game. So in that sense, it was kind of like the way RPGs are now today. Like, well, you guys kind of kind of cut it off. It's like the Christopher Nolan problem. Uh-huh. Just, no, no, we don't need that that whole half of the game epilogue. Well, and if, if Triace has a bit of the DNA of Wolf Team and Telnet as well, I do kind of view them similarly. Like consistent B level output, rarely <laughs> getting me to like AAA excitement. But I'm always, you know, if, if they're a work for hire team, like for example, they're doing Fantasy Star Nova. I'm pretty confident. Yeah, no, I'm oh, wait, I'm, are they? Yeah, yeah Fantasy Star oh. Nova is Triace. Yeah, and I'm I'm, com- I'm confident that. that it'll be proficient. It looks pretty good. Like, yeah, I played a little of that at TGS. And yeah, liked it. like I think Triace, much like Wolf Team, it's like they get the job done. Mm-hmm. So, I'm looking forward to the Steam release of that in America. Is that, is that announced? No, it's just oh. after after the uh, success of um, Valkyria Chronicle yeah. on Steam. <laughs> I feel like so, uh, Sega is only going to publish its Japanese games on <laughs> Steam now in the U.S. But no, I, it's it's true. Like I was always like I always feel like if I don't get to play a Trias game, at least try it. I uh, I'm missing out. Like I always want to try that 3DS one they did for Konami that I cannot. Oh, what was it called? Yeah. I forget. Yeah, didn't, did it come out here? Or was, was that the Was that the dungeon crawler? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty In, nice, into the labyrinth or something. Yeah, nice visuals. I can't, or, I don't remember. I am not. Uh, yeah, I, I played it at TGS and wrote a preview on it for One Up a few years back. Yeah. So, but I, I guess you know, in this modern era, we're often talking about the middle having dropped out of the, right. of, of the games that get published. That everything's either a tiny indie game or a huge AAA blockbuster. I feel like. Telnet existed in that wonderful yeah. middle ground of B level warmth and and splendor, and that like actually that their you know the legacy Telnet does continue with with Triace. Yeah, and and you know even though I was never into Telnet games and only kind of tried to appreciate them maybe a little too late, like I still feel their loss. I still you know I missed that part of the games industry. Yeah, and I wish that there were a space for companies like Telnet to exist, but there really isn't. There's just you know a handful like. Atlas, marvelous, like just just a few. It's it's really it's frustrating. Like the the big publishers aren't willing to step into that space anymore. And so many people are just like, if you look at the kind of stuff like the sort of mid tier stuff that comes out of Japan, like Demon Gaze or Criminal Girls or whatever, it just has that like patina of filth on it that you just yeah. don't want to deal with. Yeah, Criminal Girls had just come out the week when I was in Japan for uh, TGS, and I was looking through Famitsu, and some of the outfits they're wearing were just. Um, puffs of smoke and or shower suds <laughs> that was paid DLC I was like yeah no that was announced for a US release wasn't it one of them not yet uh, Demon Gaze came out already no 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 I, I mean one of the I thought not, one of the criminal girls was announced I thought so US. too not, yeah, I think maybe I think it was oh, really wow it sounds like an NIS America joint. Yeah. I will say, you know, like that that niche of you know very Japanesey uh, gal games is kind of growing popularity here on Vita. I mean, there's yeah. fans of it. So. I just thought the games are also usually very mediocre. I think. 
Which is another, and not in a charming way. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. Sengron Sen- Kagura Bon Appetit cooking game just came out. So yeah. if you want to play that, you can. <laughs> if you want to refer to, like, chapter, like, 1 through 50 of me complaining about this shit, you can just listen to Tiny Cast. I'll spare you. Ooh. Fair enough. We'll do. All right, so so final thoughts on Valius and Talonet. Or did we already go through that? I don't we know. Like kind my of, final, kind of just, fatal, fa- kind final of statement. Did, but my final statement is just like I just feel a warmth. I mean, it's situational, right? Like, like I said, I discussed this all. Like, it was the time, the era we lived in, my age, like what these games creatively accomplished. But like, I feel a real like genuine fondness for these games, and and I think that. Yeah, it harks back to an era that we don't live in now. Like, there's definitely a lot of stuff happening in the indie scene, but there was a sense of discovery and just, like, what the hell are these people yeah, trying to do? Yeah, that's, that's, that's something you said earlier that really resonated with me is that, you know, it was a Wild West experience for players and for developers. Like, everyone was trying to figure out what are these video games? Like, what works? What doesn't? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on the, on the player side, it was like, what do I like? And what's fun? And what's out there? And what are people trying to do? And that that really that doesn't exist anymore. The 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 this territory has been too well charted out. And as much as I like you know indie games, I, I feel like almost every notable indie game is a it's it's recompiling other people ideas, other people's ideas and other genres and finding interesting and fun new configurations for those things. And that's great. But I do miss the sense of like, whoa, what is this? I did not think a video game could be like this. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with everything Christian said. And I think that also, like, you know, there's a lot of love for franchises like Ninja Gaiden and Castlevania. And, like, those are two of my favorites. But I think that a franchise like Valis actually, you know, exists in that same pantheon, not at quite the same level. But if you've never seen these games and go back and experience them, I think you'd be surprised at what you found. And, and like, allow yourself to be of that moment when the people in Japan were inspired by what was happening in anime and film and books. And, and you know, I think... Go back and experience these, even if you have to just watch them. But th- there's something of value here, and something that we probably won't see happen again. Yeah, I think I think this is one of those instances where inconsistent localization and um, you know less than popular platform uh, lifetimes really kind of did it the the series a disservice because you know, like you guys said, your first experience was Valleys Two, so you never even got to see the beginning of the story until after Valleys Four. Right. So it's just one of those things where we didn't really get to experience the games as they happened, uh, especially those of us who, say, didn't buy a Turbo Duo or Turbo uh, piece of CD. Um, so, yeah, it's it's like hidden history almost for most people. And I think the other takeaway would be to just re- remind people about Gaiares. Gaiares is actually legitimately a great game, like a 9 out of 10, like mm-hmm. with amazing gameplay music and control. Yeah, yeah. Guys with mullets love it. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I'm glad this finally happened. I yeah. hope, uh, hope everyone listening at home feels like the five-year wait has been worth it. Um, so we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap now. Um, this has been Retronauts. You can find us at Retronauts.com, on iTunes, where we're Retronauts, Retronauts on Twitter, Retronauts on Tumblr, blah, 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 Retronauts. Everywhere Retronauts. But most importantly on Patreon, where you can support us and help us pay for our recording fees and things like that. So please consider doing that. It'd be great. We'll send you stickers. Um, why don't you guys tell us about yourselves, where to find Wait, you. Wait, is Retronauts on, on inter- Tinder? No. Not yet. We're not trying to hook up. <laughs> Just checking. Sorry, ladies. Our, our, show, our show is a love connection in and of itself. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can find me, Jeremy Parrish, on, on uh, usgamer.net. 
where I write stuff and edit stuff and stuff. Um, I'm on t- uh, Twitter as Gamespite. Uh, I run Gamespite.net, which is my blog, and GameboyWorld.com, which is an insane historical project that I'm doing for some reason. <laughs> you guys? Uh, so I'm Christian Nutt. You can find me on GamaSutra.com where I also write and edit stuff and curate stuff. It's crazy. Wow. I'm busy. You're like a museum master. And then I, um, you can find me on Twitter at Ferricide, F-E-R-R-I-C-I-D-E. Um, that's pretty much it. That's where I'm at. You can find me on Twitter at Shane Watch, all one word, Shane Watch. Oh, hi. That's it? <laughs> That's it. That's your entire online presence? You can feel his, you can feel his love and emanating skill from emanating PSN. from your PlayStation console. As you're playing Sinran Kagura Bon Appetit, and you're like, oh, yes. Shane. No, if you're, playing, you, Shane. if you're playing The Binding of Isaac Rebirth, which is my game of the year 20, ah. 2014, that is, uh, you can feel my power through that. I, I'm on Twitter, too. I was actually on this episode. You guys might not know that, but I was here the whole time. Bob was, Bob was keeping the, the audio levels adjusted. I was just sitting back and basking in. I was waiting for this episode, too, so, you know, I was one of the people complaining. But you can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. I also write for US Gamer and Something Awful, so check out those sites, too, please. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back again in two weeks with more audio noise to fill your ear holes. Thank you.